Welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin. First, I am not an expert. I'm just a person like you living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. While the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I am not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS. But what you choose to do with that information is always your choice. And what works for one may not work for all. In our previous episode, we talked about Lyme disease and MS, the similarities of symptoms, difficulties with obtaining a reliable diagnosis, and the ongoing mysteries that people living with both conditions endure on a daily basis. I hope if you're curious about Lyme as a possibility in your own life, that you'll check out mylymedata.org, which is an organization that is building a patient-centered research community to help fuel advancement in understanding Lyme. Hopefully, with all the current research underway, we'll know more about both Lyme and MS very soon. Stay tuned. Today, I'd like to talk about a powerful way to think about life and the key to a life well-lived that I came across in a very special and unexpected way. For my gratitude this episode, I am grateful for celebrations. Celebrations punctuate our lives. They give our lives meaning and serve as signposts throughout our lives. A celebration can be something celebrated by a lot of people at the same time, like New Year's Eve or summer solstice. They can also be celebrated by a lot of people on different days but around the same time of year or season, like the first day of the school year or graduation. We each have our individual celebrations too. Anniversaries of when we met someone special, when we received an important promotion, or even our birthdays. Recently, I've had to remind myself of the importance of celebrations, and it turns out celebrations are especially important during difficult times because they help us remember that even when we might not be in the mood to celebrate, there is still much to be grateful for in life. And so, May is my birthday month. In full disclosure, I don't have a track record of celebrating my birthdays in a big way, I'll also say here, though, that I know many people who do thoroughly celebrate their birthday each year enthusiastically, and I fully support that. One potentially uncommon thing my partner Eric and I have in common is that we are not Hallmark holiday fans. And a beautiful thing about our relationship is that we gift things to each other when we are moved to do so, not necessarily when the calendar tells us it's time to gift. But I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you today what I do do to celebrate my birthday each year, because more than ever with the struggles this year has brought, I need to be accountable to myself and celebrate as I usually do, since it's such an important annual ritual of self-care. I also want to share my birthday rituals in case they may spark ideas for you about how you choose to celebrate your birthday. 
During my birthday month, I especially guard my time to ensure I have the maximum time available for self-care and to do the things I want to do and usually don't have time for. If there's something I really don't want to do or it's not an absolute necessity, I don't do it. I've found most things in those categories can easily wait until the next month. And I will also say that I am diligent about scheduling must-dos the month before my birthday so that I can reserve time during my birthday month for want-to-do things. I also typically give myself a break from scheduling a lot of appointments, especially doctor appointments, since I focus so intensely on my health all year as someone living with MS. By taking it a little easier during my birthday month and intentionally keeping sections of my calendar open, I'm able to accomplish all of my must-dos and still have room for my want-to-dos. Things I'm doing more this month. Singing and playing my guitar. Spending extra time in the garden each day before it gets too warm for me to be outside for extended periods of time. Allowing for more rest and deliberately slow and gentle mornings. I'm exercising more. So far, I've reached my goal of a minimum of 8,000 steps daily and have often been able to achieve even more. I'm reading even more than usual, spending more cuddle and playtime with my dog, Ryson. I'm being more spontaneous with my partner, like out of the blue watching a movie together during the daytime or sitting outside together in the afternoon with a glass of local award-winning wine. I'm catching more sunsets to give gratitude for each day. We're visiting our favorite restaurants, breweries, and distilleries with outdoor patios. We're hopping over the hill to our favorite beaches. I'm treating myself to two salt floats this month since they gift members a free float for their birthday. All of these simple things remind me that even during seasons of sadness, there is much to be grateful for. And celebrations, especially in times of darkness, can help us to see that the light is still there, flickering with hope. While lovingly going through my mother-in-law's belongings after her unexpected passing earlier this year, I came across her book collection. Kathy was an avid reader, and while she loved an intriguing mystery or a lighthearted romance novel, she also had a collection of special little books. One I set aside for a relative was a book of Irish songs that I knew they would treasure given their shared heritage. Another was a book called The Dash. When I looked inside the cover of this book, I found that it was given to my mother-in-law by one of her dear sisters, so I set it aside to return it to her, since in my own life I've learned that sometimes the things we give people we love absorb even more meaning and value for us after they are no longer with us. When I met with Kathy's sister and showed her the book, rather than taking it back, she told me to keep it and read it and that she hoped it would touch my life as much as it had touched hers. I packed it up with love, and when I got home, added it to my bookshelf. Soon thereafter, I cuddled up with Ryson and read it. The first time, I cried. I also laughed. And most importantly, I found myself thinking deeply about this book well into the evening that night, and since. And so today, as the heart of today's episode, in gratitude for the gift that keeps on giving, originally gifted to Kathy from her loving sister, 
only to be returned and re-gifted to me, I now give to you the dash, making a difference with your life. Before I share this special little book with you, I'd like to first talk about the dash itself. Yep, you got it. That little horizontal line that lives on one of the upper right keys on a standard keyboard. It doesn't look like much, maybe, and probably isn't a keystroke you make terribly often. But my hope is that after today, we may have more respect for the dash and think about it differently from this day forward. While we'll spend most of our time today looking in depth at the dash, I'd also like to share a bit about some other relevant punctuation marks on the keyboard and what they as well can teach us about a life well lived. Punctuation marks are critical aspects of language. Without them, our messages lose clarity, focus, and often their power. Without the good old comma, for instance, let's eat grandma becomes let's eat grandma. Without the semicolon, I'm sorry, I love you, becomes, I'm sorry, I love you. And punctuation marks help us in other ways too, not just to convey clear linguistic meaning. For example, sometimes in life, we're just not sure of ourselves or desire more clarification. This is where the question mark can help us since it communicates that we are seeking answers to the questions that arise in life. It reminds us to be inquisitive and that life is really just a series of learning events and that being unsure is a natural and important part of each of our lives' learning and growth process. In today's polarizing world, it's important to not passively take things at face value. The question mark lives on our keyboard for a reason, as do all punctuation marks. Maintaining our sense of wonder, inquisitiveness, and discernment throughout life can support our mental health and help us better enjoy traversing the unknowns of life. The most common punctuation mark, the period, also known in some countries as the full stop, has two main functions. It shows the end of a sentence and is used to indicate an abbreviation. Sentences that end with a period are factual and even tempered. The period reminds us that not everything in life has to be amazing or the best. There's beauty in the mundane, too. We don't have to be on all the time. It's the comfy sweats loungewear of punctuation marks. The period is dependable, reliable, and content. Exclamation marks, on the other hand, remind us to live life with gusto and to be excited about things. Researchers say that children laugh hundreds of times daily, while in contrast, adults typically only laugh four to 20 times a day. Children, and dogs in my experience, live their lives with exclamation marks, like in the quote, live like someone left the gate open. We can learn a bit from them about maintaining high levels of joy in our lives and ensure that when we reflect upon our days, the memories don't all end with periods and that there's a healthy dose of exclamation marks, too. You may have heard the words penned by Gracie Allen, never place a period where God has placed a comma. The comma is used to join two or more ideas together. Sometimes in life, when we are going through tough times, it's easy to think things won't ever get better. We may be tempted to put a period at the end of our life's sentence and to see no hope. 
In most cases, our lives aren't truly over and we aren't destined to remain in a state of hopelessness and despair. The comma signifies to us that there is something else coming our way and we may just find our way to brighter days ahead. Seeing the comma as a pause where we stop, take a breath, and readjust our course is a powerful lesson we can learn from the comma. Before moving on, I want to give a shout out to the Oxford comma, of which I am a huge fan. The Oxford comma is the final comma that is placed before the last item of a list. The necessity of the Oxford comma is highly debated, but it was drilled into my head and writing hand by my high school English teacher, Barry Bergstrom, and fully cemented after reading Lynn Truce's 2006 book titled Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, The Zero-Tolerance Approach to Punctuation. There are many hilarious examples that illustrate the importance of the Oxford comma. One that I enjoy is, quote, we went walking with our dogs, grandma and grandpa. Without the Oxford comma in place to clearly indicate that we went walking with our dogs and grandma and grandpa, we might mistakenly communicate that we went walking with our dogs whose names are grandma and grandpa. Regardless of how you feel about the Oxford comma, I hope we all agree that the comma itself is an important tool when listing things that are important necessary, and critical to communicating with clarity. A similar punctuation mark, the semicolon, connects two complete sentences that are related, such as, I'm ready for dinner. I hope you're hungry. The semicolon is placed between the two clauses, which indicates that we're not yet at the end. In 2013, Amy Bluell founded Project Semicolon, marking the 10th anniversary of her father's death by suicide. Since then, the semicolon has been used as a common symbol in the mental health awareness community to provide support and inspiration for those going through very difficult times, to remind us that there is hope and that a different future is possible. The ellipses, also affectionately referred to as dot dot dot, is literally a series of three dots and can be used to show that part of a sentence is missing or has been intentionally removed, but is most commonly used to communicate an unfinished thought or uncertainty, like in the sentence, I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet, dot, dot, dot. The ellipses reminds us that it's okay to not have all the answers. Sometimes we need to think and think and think and think and maybe even think some more before being sure of something. The ellipses reminds us of the importance in giving ourselves the time we need to make decisions that get us closer to the health and happiness we desire. Quotation marks help us communicate our spoken word. Humans are social beings, and we are highly dependent on communication for survival and thrival. Some of us utilize the quotation mark quite a bit and are very talkative by nature. Others, not so much. Quotation marks remind us that there are times when it's important for us to speak up, to say the unspoken, and also that there's times when it behooves us not to speak, for our silence in itself speaks volumes. The apostrophe has two functions. First, it shows that a letter or letters have been omitted from a word to form a contraction. For example, it's time to go instead of it is time to go. 
In this way, the apostrophe reminds us that it's okay to take it easy, take shortcuts, strive for efficiency, be casual, or say less to say more. The second function of the apostrophe is used to make a noun possessive. In this way, the apostrophe reminds us that it's good to own our feelings, shortcomings, and yet to learns, as in, quote, their thoughts aren't always as positive and forward-facing as they'd like them to be. Parentheses are used to show the words inside them are related to, yet less important than the other words in the sentence. For example, ricin, our labradoodle we affectionately call a wackadoodle, has become much more talkative in recent months. Parentheses reminds us that our words add detail, interest, and color commentary to our lives. The colon introduces the information that will come after it. For example, I've narrowed my choices for lunch down to two items, a chicken salad or leftover minestrone soup. If you think about it, life is a series of choices. Every decision we make about our daily lives impacts our life's course. Being intentional about how we use the colon to make wise decisions can help us find our way to better health. And finally, as we walk along the keyboard, we come to the hyphen, or often referred to more casually as a dash. There are important distinctions between the two, however, that you might not know. The hyphen has two main functions. First, a hyphen is used to form a compound word, or a word that is comprised of two smaller words, like self-confidence or mother-in-law. A hyphen is also used after the prefix of a word, such as post-haste or over-promise. The dash, on the other hand, has two different usages. The M dash, or a longer dash, which is formed by hitting the dash key twice in a row, is sometimes used instead of other punctuation marks, such as commas, colons, or parentheses. Like in the sentence, quote, their response was clear. Yes! The dash itself is most often used to denote a range, such as between dates or locations, and is often read aloud as the word to, as in, they took the San Francisco to Chicago red-eye last night, or the company was operational from 1991 to 2014. And for a deeper dive into the significance of this particular punctuation mark and all that it entails as the key to a life well-lived, I'd like to introduce you a sweet little book by Linda Ellis and Mac Anderson, The Dash. Making a difference with your life. For the remainder of this episode, I'm going to share this special little book with you. There are multiple versions of the book widely available. The one I will be reading from today is the 2005 edition that includes additional touching stories and is beautifully illustrated. Introduction. The book starts out with a heartfelt introduction by Mac Anderson, who shares how their life was forever changed after reading Linda Ellis's poem called The Dash, which Linda wrote in 1996. I'll share it with you now. As I read it, let her words fall deeply into your heart. I'll actually read this poem twice in this episode, so this first time, try to focus solely on her words and gently push pause on your brain's natural tendency to want to spin off into tangential thoughts. The Dash by Linda Ellis 
I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke of the following date with tears, but he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth, and now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real, and always try to understand the way other people feel, and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more, and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? <coughs> Following Linda's poem, co-author Mac Anderson had more words to share. They wrote, One of the most difficult lessons in life to learn is that less is usually more. And only as I've grown older have I gotten it. Focusing on your most important priorities and continually removing the clutter will be key to any true success in your life. That's what I love about this poem. In 239 words, it captures the simple truths of why we were put on this earth. Within the words of this beautiful poem, I discovered a few simple truths that can make a difference in any life. I'd like to share them with you to help you bring your dash goals into focus. May you live your dash with passion. Mac Anderson. The rest of the book contains a deeper dive into each component of the dash. Slow down, true and real, feelings, anger, appreciation, love, respect, change, and making a difference. I'll share those with you today as well. And as I do, be thinking about how this little poem can help you to live the life you want. So then when it comes time for your dash to be determined, you will be able to celebrate a life well lived. Slow down. I once heard someone say, we don't remember days, we remember moments. However, at today's hectic pace, we often forget to savor small pleasures while we make big plans. In the race to be better or best, we sometimes lose sight of just being. And just being, just soaking in and savoring a beautiful moment, can provide some of life's greatest pleasures. A crackling fire on a cold winter night, a good book a love letter from your spouse, a spectacular sunset, a great meal, or a timeless moment with your child or a friend. 
These moments, if we stop long enough to enjoy, are the essence of life. She goes on to share a personal story. Slow down. I love to fish, especially for largemouth bass. About three years ago, I was watching television late one night and got this crazy notion to go fishing in the lake behind my house. Of course, my wife thought I was nuts. It was almost midnight. I convinced her I was sane and took off. I walked out to a warm summer breeze and looked up at the starry sky and breathtaking full moon. I allowed my senses to soak in every second, the sweet smell of honeysuckle, the sound of every cricket and bullfrog, the moon's reflection dancing off the water. It was a perfect night. After walking across a small field, I took out a flashlight and selected a lure. On my first cast, I reeled in a bass weighing over five pounds, one of the largest I had ever caught. I gently released it back into the water and continued my midnight adventure. During the next two hours, I caught 17 bass, all between two and five pounds. Although I've fished for almost 50 years, no fishing memory can top that warm summer night. But that night provided far more than a fishing memory. It was a life memory. It provided me a snapshot of what life could be like if I just slowed down enough to savor the moments. On my way back to the house, as I walked through the tall grass, I took one last look at the sky and stopped to say, Thank you, God, for giving me this night. Remember, it will only last for a little while, so savor the moments. Savor the memories of your dash. True and real. Knowing yourself, finding your true purpose in life, is the essence of true and real. You have to be before you do to have lasting inner peace. In other words, making a living is not the same as making a life. Find what makes your heart sing and create your own music. Many people work all their lives and dislike what they do for a living. In fact, I was astounded to see a recent USA Today survey that said 53% of people in the American workplace are unhappy with their jobs. Loving what you do is one of the most important keys to living a true and real dash. The author goes on to share a story to represent true and real. They say, you can't fake passion. It is the fuel that drives any dream and makes you happy to be alive. However, the first step to loving what you do is to self-analyze, to simply know what you love. We all have unique talents and interests, and one of life's greatest challenges is to match these talents with career opportunities that bring out the best in us. It's not easy, and sometimes we can only find it through trial and error but it's worth the effort. Ray Kroc, for example, found his passion when he founded McDonald's at the age of 52. He never worked another day of his life. John James Audubon was unsuccessful for most of his life. He was a terrible businessman. No matter how many times he changed locations, changed partners, or changed businesses, he still failed miserably. Not until he understood that he must change himself did he have any shot at success. And what changes did Audubon make? He followed his passion. 
He had always loved the outdoors and was an excellent hunter. In addition, he was a good artist and as a hobby would draw local birds. Once he stopped trying to be a businessman and started doing what he loved to do, his life turned around. He traveled the country observing and drawing birds, and his art ultimately was collected in a book titled Audubon's Birds of America. The book earned him a place in history as the greatest wildlife artist ever. But more importantly, the work made him happy and provided the peace of mind he had been seeking all his life. Feelings. I once heard someone say, if you teach your child the golden rule, you will have left them an incalculable estate. Truer words were never spoken. More than anything, the golden rule is about kindness. As Mother Teresa said, it's the only language that we all understand. John Blumberg, author, speaker, and friend of the author, shared a story with the author that I will share with you now. I had just experienced a pleasant flight from New York back to Chicago on United Airlines. It was one of those days where almost everything had gone right. That's until I exited the tram to the airport's economy parking lot and realized that I had lost my wallet on my homeward journey. Throughout the drive home, I mentally started retracing my steps. Once home, I placed calls to the lost and found at O'Hare, United, New York, LaGuardia, and the TSA Security in New York. At that late night hour, I got recordings, so I left each a detailed message. I then retired to bed knowing I had done all I could do. I fell asleep thinking of the hassle of replacing everything in the wallet. The next morning, I had been up for less than an hour when a man called. Bob identified himself with United Airlines, and his question was music to my ears. Mr. Blumberg, are you missing a wallet? Relieved and grateful, I responded, yes. I thanked him for returning my call to United's Lost and Found, but he didn't know about that call. He wasn't with the Lost and Found, nor was it his job to personally follow up with passengers leaving their stuff on the airplane. He was the night mechanic who had simply found the wallet on my assigned seat. Realizing my phone number was not anywhere in my wallet, I immediately appreciated his extra effort of tracking down my home phone number. But that effort was only the beginning of what I was about to experience. Bob had waited the night to call, assuming I would be sleeping. He told me that he was leaving work at 7 a.m. He wanted to know if I would be home so that he could deliver my wallet to my house on his way home. After talking logistics for a minute, I realized that he was going over an hour out of his way, but he insisted. I finally got him to agree that I would immediately leave and meet him in a direction near his home. For the next 45 minutes, we both drove towards a common meeting place. We finally met in the parking lot of a commercial building. As I got out of my car to meet this stranger turned hero, I introduced myself to Bob. He sported his heavy United Airlines uniform coat, made necessary by the cold December morning. He greeted me with a big smile and handed me my wallet. I pulled some cash from my pocket to give him a sizable tip for all his efforts. As I reached to hand him the cash, he didn't miss a beat. He simply responded, absolutely not. Bob continued, I have lost my wallet before and I know it is a hassle. I'm just glad I could get it back to you. Feeling the need to somehow respond to his kindness, 
I offered the tip a couple more times, but he was not budging. Realizing the tip minimized his graciousness, I just smiled and said, I guess I will just have to pay it forward to someone else. He smiled. That would be great. You see, Bob went the extra mile and then some. He didn't do it for gain. He did it simply because it's who he is. During our dash on this earth, we all have countless opportunities to perform unexpected acts of kindness. Emerson said it best, to share often and much, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. Anger, Mac writes, our emotions are powerful motivators and more than almost anything else in our lives, they will drive our behavior. Sometimes our greatest challenge is to get inside our own heads to understand what makes us tick. Why do we feel and behave the way we do? I know two family members who were best friends, but several years ago, one reminded the other of something that had happened 30 years earlier. One thing led to another, and you know what? They haven't spoken since. William Ward identified the cure when he said, Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the handcuffs of hate. Those are powerful words, and I know from personal experience, forgiveness works. A few times in my life, I've been greatly wronged and taken advantage of. My first reaction, of course, was anger and resentment. I held it for a while and felt my stomach tie up in knots, my appetite wane, and the joy slip out of my life. The quote from Ward provided the wake-up call I needed to forgive the person who had wronged me. It was like I had been playing the first half of a basketball game with three-pound steel shoes, and in the locker room, the coach said, Mac, try these new Nikes in the second half. Multiply that by 10, and you'll understand how great it feels to unload your emotional baggage through the power of forgiveness. Life is too short to stay angry even for a day. Just remember that this special dash may only last a little while. Appreciation. Barbara Glanz is a speaker, author, and a good friend of author Mac. One of her favorite quotes from Albert Schweitzer is, sometimes our light goes out, but is blown again into flame by an encounter with another human being. Each of us owes the deepest thanks to those who have rekindled this inner light. When Barbara speaks, she will ask her audience to shut their eyes and to think about someone who at some time in their lives has rekindled their inner light. She will leave the room in silence for several minutes, and it's always a profound experience for everyone as they remember the joy they received from the appreciation of someone when they needed it the most. Afterwards, she'll ask them to write down the name of the person they thought of and to commit to their own act of appreciation by letting that person know in the next 72 hours that they thought of them. She'll suggest a phone call, a note, or even just a little prayer if they are no longer alive. After one very moving session, a gentleman came up to talk with her and thank her for creating a new awareness in him. He said he had thought of his eighth grade literature teacher because she was everyone's favorite teacher and had really made a difference in all of their lives, and he was going to track her down and let her know what happened. 
One afternoon, nearly two and a half months later, Barbara received a call from him. He was very emotional on the phone and could hardly get through his story. He said that it had taken him nearly two months to track his teacher down, and when he finally found her, he wrote to her, and the following week, this was the letter he received back. Dear John, you will never know how much your letter meant to me. I am 83 years old, and I am living all alone in one room. My friends are all gone. My family's gone. I taught for 50 years, and yours is the first thank you letter I have ever gotten from a student. Sometimes I wonder what I did with my life. I will read and reread your letter until the day I die. Whew. He sobbed on the phone. He said, Every reunion we've had, she is always the one we talked about. She was everyone's favorite teacher. We loved her. But no one had ever told her until she received his letter. Never forget, it's not the things you get, but the hearts you touch that will determine your success in your dash. Love. About love, Mac writes, I recently had dinner with someone who told me that one of his best friends had been killed in a private plane crash, and something happened at the service that he'll never forget. He shared the story with me. At the memorial service, his friend's wife walked to the podium to speak to the gathering. She said a friend had asked her the best memory she had of their life together. At the moment, she had been too grief-stricken to answer, but she had thought about it since and wanted to answer the question. They were in their late 40s when he died, and she began talking about a time in their life almost 20 years earlier. She had quit her job to obtain her master's degree, and her husband never wavered in his support. He held down his own job and also did the cooking, cleaning, and other household chores while she studied for her degree. One time, they both stayed up all night. She was finishing her thesis, and he was preparing for an important business meeting. That morning, she walked out on their loft, looked at him over the railing, and just thought about how much she loved him. She knew how important this meeting was to his career, and she was feeling guilty that she didn't even have time to make his breakfast. He grabbed his briefcase and hurried out. She heard the garage door open and close, but much to her surprise, she heard it open again about 30 seconds later. From above, she watched her husband dash into the house and walk over to the neglected coffee table. Tracing his finger through the dust, he wrote the words, I love you. Then he raced back to his car. The new widow then looked out at her audience and said, John and I had a wonderful life together. We have been around the world several times. We've had everything money can buy, but nothing comes close to that moment. Our dash moves with lightning speed. It feels like yesterday that I graduated from college and now 38 years have passed. Although I'm very proud of my business accomplishments, in the end, my life comes back to loving and being loved. Respect. Mac writes, he was in the Oklahoma City airport when he saw a woman walking along with three little girls. They were skipping and singing. Daddy's coming home on a big jet. Daddy's coming home on a big jet. All excited, eyes lit up like diamonds, wild anticipation. 
They had never before met Daddy coming home on a jet. Their mother was so proud of them and their enthusiasm. You could see it in her eyes. Then the plane arrived, the door opened, and the passengers streamed in. You didn't have to ask which one was Daddy. The girl's bright eyes were glued on him. But his first look was for his wife, and seeing her, he yelled, Why didn't you bring my top coat? and walked right past his adoring daughters. Here was a man who had an opportunity to be great, and he didn't recognize it. Forty years ago, I heard Charlie Cullen tell that story, and I never forgot it. How many times a day, a week, a month, do we have the opportunity to be great through simple acts of kindness? In your dash, never underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, or an honest compliment, all have the potential to turn a life around. Smile. About smile, Mac writes, our dash is short, but it can be wide. A bellman made my day recently. After checking into an Atlanta hotel, Sam, his name was on his badge, picked up my two bags, gave a big smile and said, isn't it a gorgeous day today? I nodded and said, sure is. He then said, I just spent the entire weekend with my two grandkids, and I can't remember when I've had more fun. Aren't kids great? And then I added, Sam, it seems like you're having a great day. He then looked up with a grin I'll never forget and said, Mr. Anderson, every day above ground is a great day. I walked into my room feeling recharged by Sam's enthusiasm. It was obvious that he had chosen to live life to the fullest and given the opportunity to touch someone's life in a positive way, my bet is that he took it every time. Every day, we all have that same opportunity to make a positive difference in the lives of others. We can choose to mope about our lot in life or we can decide to live in awe, touching hearts along the way. Ah, yes, we all know ducks who make lots of noise, quacking and complaining about their problems in life. And then there are eagles who go about their business and consistently soar above the crowd. Thanks, Sam, for soaring into my life. Change. Mac writes, Over a century ago, William James, one of the founders of modern psychology, said, the great discovery of this generation is that a human being can alter their life by altering their attitude. Each day, we wake up in the morning, we choose our clothes, we choose our breakfast, but most importantly, we choose our attitudes. One of the most wonderful things about having a positive attitude is the number of people it touches many times in ways you'll never know. In Mac's book, The Power of Attitude, they told a story about going to a convenience store to get a newspaper and a pack of gum. The young woman at the checkout counter said, that'll be $5, please. And as Mac reached into their wallet, the thought occurred to them that a newspaper and gum didn't quite make it to $5. Mac writes, when I looked up to get a re-quote, she had a big smile on her face and said, gotcha, I gotta get my tip in there somehow. I laughed when I knew I'd been had. She then glanced down at the paper I was buying and said, I'm sick and tired of all this negative stuff on the front pages. I want to read some good news for a change. She then said, 
In fact, I think someone should just publish a good news newspaper. A paper with wonderful, inspiring stories about people overcoming adversity and doing good things for others. I'd buy one every day. She then thanked me for coming in and said, Maybe we'll get lucky tomorrow. Maybe we'll get some good news. And she laughed. She made my day. The following day, after my business appointments, I dropped by the same store again to pick up a bottled water, but a different young lady was behind the counter. As I checked out, I said, good afternoon, and handed her my money for the water. She said nothing. Not a word, not a smile, nothing. She just handed me my change and in a negative tone ordered, next. It hit me right between the eyes. Two people, same age. One made me feel great, and the other, well, made me feel like I had inconvenienced her by showing up. By the choices we make, by the attitudes we exhibit, we are influencing lives every day in positive or negative ways. Our family, our peers, our friends, and even strangers we've never met before and will never meet again. So when you brush your teeth every morning, look in the mirror and ask yourself, are there things I'd like to change? How will you choose to live your dash? As the grouch or as the good news girl? Your answer will go a long way toward determining the joy and happiness that you will experience in life. And lastly, Mac writes about making a difference. It's not the things we get, but the hearts we touch that will determine our success in life. Making a difference in the lives of others is what the dash is all about. In the end, however, the significance of our life will be determined by the choices we make. We can choose positive over negative, smiles over frowns, giving over taking, and love over hate. It is only when we take responsibility for our choices that we begin to realize we truly are the masters of our fate. Only then will our lives begin to change for the better. One of the most powerful stories about choices that I've ever read was written by Lance Wubbles in the book we wrote together. To a child, love is spelled T-I-M-E. In January of 2003, I sent the title to Lance as a possible gift book idea. Three days later, he wrote this story for the introduction. In the faint light of the attic, an old man, tall and stooped, bent his great frame and made his way to a stack of boxes that sat near one of the little half-windows. Brushing aside a wisp of cobwebs, he tilted the top box toward the light and began to carefully lift out one old photograph album after another. Eyes once bright but now dim searched longingly for the source that had drawn him here. It began with the fond recollection of the love of his life, long gone, and somewhere in these albums was a photo of her he hoped to rediscover. Silent as a mouse, he patiently opened the long-buried treasure and soon was lost in a sea of memories. Although his world had not stopped spinning when his wife left it, the past was more alive in his heart than his present aloneness. Setting aside one of the dusty albums, he pulled from the box what appeared to be a journal from his grown son's childhood. He could not recall ever having seen it before or that his son had ever kept a journal. Why did Elizabeth always save the children's old junk, he wondered, shaking his white head. 
Opening the yellowed pages, he glanced over a short entry, and his lips curved in an unconscious smile. Even his eyes brightened as he read the words that spoke clear and sweet to his soul. It was the voice of the little boy who had grown up far too fast in this very house, and whose voice had grown fainter and fainter over the years. In the utter silence of the attic, the words of a guileless six-year-old worked their magic and carried the old man back to a time almost totally forgotten. Entry after entry stirred a sentimental hunger in his heart, like the longing a gardener feels in the winter for the fragrance of spring flowers. But it was accompanied by the painful memory that his son's simple recollections of those days were far different from his own. But how different? Reminded that he had kept a daily journal of his business activities over the years, he closed his son's journal and turned to leave, having forgotten the cherished photo that originally triggered his search. Hunched over to keep from bumping his head on the rafters, the old man stepped to the wooden stairway and made his descent, then headed down a carpeted stairway that led to the den. Opening a glass cabinet door, he reached in and pulled out an old business journal. Turning, he sat down at his desk and placed the two journals beside each other. His was leather-bound and engraved neatly with his name in gold, while his son's was tattered and the name Jimmy had been nearly scuffed from its surface. He ran a long finger over the letters as though he could restore what had been worn away with time and use. As he opened his journal, the old man's eyes fell upon an inscription that stood out because it was so brief in comparison to other days. In his own neat handwriting were these words, Wasted the whole day fishing with Jimmy. Didn't catch a thing. With a deep sigh and a shaking hand, he took Jimmy's journal and found the boy's entry for the same day, June 4th. Large, scrawling letters pressed deeply in the paper read, Went fishing with my dad. Best day of my life. Whew, that one gets me every time. Mac finishes us out by talking about making a difference and writes, You may have heard it before, but it bears repeating. Someone once said, I've never known anyone who, on their deathbed, said, I wish I had spent more time at the office. Our dash is a fleeting moment in time, and what we do with it is up to us. The quote on the priorities print from Successories says it all. Quote, a hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, the sort of house I lived in, or the kind of car I drove, but... The world may be different because I was important in the life of a child. The second half of this beautiful little book is called The Power of the Dash. Our readers share their stories. And boy, are they powerful. My hope is that by hearing me share parts of this book today, that you might purchase it for yourself or someone you love so that more of us may live a little differently as a result of this special book. As promised, now that we've looked in greater detail at the individual parts of the poem, The Dash, I'll read Linda's short poem one more time. As I do, this time allow your mind to wander. 
Think deeply about what her powerful words and the stories you heard mean to you. What are they saying you might want to adjust in your life to ensure you're satisfied with what the Dash will one day say about you and your life? Here we go. The Dash by Linda Ellis. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on her tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of her birth and spoke of the following date with tears, but he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that she spent alive on earth, and now only those who loved her know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down long enough to consider what's true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say? about how you spent your dash? I hope that by listening to this episode, we all, one, remember there is much to be learned about a life well-lived from all of the punctuation marks. Two, that we realize how precious our time is on this planet and that we always make time for celebrations. And three, that we each spend some time reflecting on our own dash and what we want it to one day mean about us and how we chose to live our life. Our dash may be short, but it can be wide. Our next Misunderstood Flock meeting will be Saturday, July 2nd. Yep, you heard me right, July. I'll be sure to post this on our Patreon page as well, but there will not be a flock meeting the first Saturday in June. Dr. Susan has invited me to attend the Institute of Functional Medicine's annual international conference. We'll spend two days of virtual learning together, which I'm really excited about. And of course, you can count on me to share my learnings through this podcast. At the flock meeting in July, we'll discuss this episode and other episodes released between now and then, and spend time together celebrating recent wins and supporting one another with current hardships. If you're not yet a flock member but would like to be, please join us. We are all people living with MS that meet via Zoom monthly to support each other and continue our learning on the episode topics. You can learn more and join us by visiting patreon.com slash msflock. As always, I encourage all listeners to reach out with MS-related questions, comments, future podcast topics, or guest ideas via email to mymsflock at gmail.com. And lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together and supporting one another and honking our encouragement. As always, thank you for listening. And until next time, be well.